Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by appraiser Ryan Lundquist, who is the author of the Sacramento Appraisal Blog, to talk about what he's seeing in his market and how Sacramento might be a bellwether for other areas that appreciated fast during the pandemic. Ryan, welcome to the Housing Wire Daily Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. We are so happy to have you. You are someone that I follow all the time. Of course, you write the Sacramento Appraiser blog, and I, I'm looking at it all the time because you're really following the insights of your local market, and you are the expert on that market. So we're so glad that you're joining us here today to kind of talk about what you're seeing right now. So maybe you could uh, go over some of the October insights you have. Yeah, well, I think Sacramento is sort of the poster child for market change. It's one of those places across the country where we're beginning to see a really, really big change. Um, and so, for instance, in the region, since May, our median price has dropped by 12%. And, you know, that's not a perfect metric, but just for some context, normally it drops by 4%. And so, price change has basically been three times faster than usual. And that's something that's showing up in the comps. A lot of sellers are noticing and going, wow, I really have to lower my price. I'm not going to sell for what I would have sold for in April or May. And so that's been a really, really big change since rates essentially doubled. But I think the um, the other part of that equation is volume. We're last month or in October anyway, we're down about 40% in Sacramento County compared to last year. And so you see that, I mean, not quite half of the market is missing, but a very, very significant chunk. And so it just shows that the pool of buyers is simply smaller. So when you say volume, um, can you clarify, is that listing volume or is that sales volume? Those are closed sales. Okay. What are you seeing as far as listings? We really peaked out in um, June for the number of listings. And so um, in a normal year, about July, you start to see fewer listings coming to the market. And this year is about one month early. But we've sort of seen, um, you know, maybe the market have a little bit more competition since midsummer. Um, I can't imagine what the environment would feel like if listings had been increasing all this time. But we're kind of at a mostly normal level for the months of supply. We're at about two and a half months, um, very normal on paper, but I would say the market feels nothing but normal. And so we've got to be careful that I think a lot of people would say, hey, the market's fine because we have you know two, two and a half months of supply, but that's not the dynamic out there despite that technicality of normal. So when you say two to two and a half months of supply, is it supply that people don't want? Is that distressed inventory? Why doesn't that number mean something that it normally means? I think because the the bigger meaning here is rates are the the, the trump factor. They're um, so much more powerful. And what's happening with mortgage rates, you know, going from three percent to seven percent is way more meaningful than what's on the market. And so um, I think that's really, you know, simply put. Um, but I do think, you know, buyers are kind of looking at the market feeling like it's a bunch of leftovers right now, which is kind of normal for this time of year. Um, a lot of people won't list in November before Thanksgiving. They'll wait until spring. And that's when, you know, sort of the good stuff, so to speak, hits the market like clockwork every year. And so I think that's the dynamic. 
One of the things that you really talk about is getting the price right on different uh, on different houses. And as an appraiser, right, this is one of the things that's just um, so challenging, I would think, is that how do you factor in all of the things that are, you know, a house is worth what it's worth, it, but that changes over time as well, right? And so we have this huge run-up 2020-21. What has 2022 been like in Sacramento? So the year started out where it was complete chaos until you know the market change. And so I think the narrative was that this market, nothing can touch it, inventory is low, and you know, then mortgage rates said, hold my beer, and we're in a completely different um, experience. And so um, you know, I, I would say that um, in terms of pulling comps on properties, what's really key right now is to watch the, you know, when did this property get into contract? And so, because I'm looking and going, okay, this one closed today, but it got into contract in early September. How much has the market changed since September? We've got to gauge that as appraisers and real estate professionals. Or if a property got in a contract in May, but it just closed, I mean, that price probably reflects May. And so I think we need to do that type of analysis on each and every sale that we see um, and just ask, you know, how has the market changed since then? And that's really going to separate, I think, you know, the professionals from, you know, those that aren't is the ability to analyze the, the difference in the marketplace. I think one of the things that was so striking in the run-up of prices, it even say in the in the uh, fall of 2020 and definitely in 2021, was the rate of change of pricing. Um, I would think as an appraiser would just be so challenging because you know things were so dynamic, and if you have 25 people bidding on a house, uh, I, I just I felt like things changed so fast. How does an appraiser then, you know, your your normal metrics of like, okay, these are the comps or whatever, it, it had to be thrown off even way back then. Yeah, yeah, I think so, and then especially in an, seeing unprecedented growth, you know, in basically in our tenth and eleventh year of you know an upward cycle, going, wait, what is happening? How come we're seeing the most aggressive growth now? And is this real? And I think that's the question that people had to ask appraisers, particularly, you know, where is market value in the midst of some people paying really, really lopsided prices? And frankly, I think some people way overpaying, you know, they maybe did an Elon Musk and paid way too much for the product. And, and so, you know, just because someone was willing to buy it doesn't mean it was worth that. But I think right now we're experiencing the opposite end where you appraisers have to be careful to really diagnose the market. Like in my area, for five months in a row, we've seen the median price decline about two and a half percent every month. Now, that doesn't lead to actual value declines in a lot of places, like rigidly, but it shows that I, I think sometimes appraisers get locked into a mindset where maybe the market declines one percent. Like that is not that would be really, really minor compared to, I think, what we're experiencing right now. Like I just talked to an agent um, about an hour ago, and we were talking about a property in a neighborhood in Sacramento, and her sense was that it was worth about 800000 in May, and then it's closer to $700,000 today. And so, and I didn't bat an eye at that because I think, yeah, that probably, that sounds about right with the total loss in purchasing power and loss in volume, all that we're seeing, like it just makes sense. Buyers have to pay less because the mortgage payment each month is just skyrocketed. I know one of the things that you really focus on is how do you help uh, real estate agents help their sellers to really figure out what the right price is? Because it's not like that person, for instance, couldn't put the market, put, couldn't put the house on the market for 800000 but it's just going to sit there, right? So how do you help real estate agents when they're like, you know, does this seem right to you? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of agents have a really good sense of, of the market. Um, you know, sometimes there's certainly assistance that's needed. Um, but, and to be fair, sometimes it's really hard to see the market. You go, have prices really gone down this much? Or in 2020, have prices really gone up this much? And so, you know, there's that dynamic. Value is just hard. But I always tell people, price according to properties that are similar and getting into contract. It doesn't matter what John next door is, you know, overpriced at or Juanita down the street. You know, you don't want to price according to overpriced listings. You want to price what is actually moving right now because that represents your competition. Um, Sales are really like historic artifacts. They tell us what the market used to be like. And what we want to do is say, you know, what is the market? Where is the market at right now? And the best view of that is to look at listings that aren't selling. That tells us what it's probably not worth. And then properties that are getting into contract and moving. That's really our focus. That's that's the main thing that I emphasize. Um, but also just not pricing aggressively too. I think sellers have had a real reckoning where they've had to wake up and realize that they're no longer running the show. Okay, That, you know, seller honeymoon from 2020 and 2021 is simply over. And so sellers have have to concede that they're probably going to have to give credits to buyers. Um, they they need to not get bent out of shape when they don't sell at the original list price. The buyer might be coming in there and they might be offering less and they might be asking for credits. And you know, it's a time to, I think, you know, bend toward buyers rather than expect buyers to, you know, bid up and well, I'm gonna counter you thirty thousand dollars more. And that's just so twenty 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 one. Do you have a lot of uh, new builds in your area or is it pretty much existing homes? You know, we definitely have new construction. It's not a massive share of the market, but any given year, there's about five to 6,000 newly constructed sales in, in the wider region. Do you see uh, the median price, when you're talking about median price, is that uh, going down for just existing homes? Does that include the new builds? My stats don't include new construction mostly because builders don't usually list on the MLS. Um, they're starting to now because they have to because uh, you know contract volume for builders since April it's basically been cut in half, and so you know they're having to market their properties more on the MLS. They you know in same dynamic with sellers like builders are doing the same thing. Uh, lots of builders have lowered their prices. Um, some of them haven't. They're maybe playing hardball right now, and I'd say they're you know kind of feeling things out. How much can I do in this current environment? That's so interesting. When you look at this market, so, you know, we know 2020 2020 and 2021 were crazy. When you look at this market and where we are volume wise, where we are median home price, how does that fit into the overall context of historically where Sacramento would be? Are we back to like a 2019 level? Is it lower than that? Is it not even close to that? No, the median the median price is really you know back to October 2021, literally one year ago, or very slightly lower than that. And so, um, basically, what we saw the past couple of years, the median price increased exponentially. It was up 185 thousand. It dropped 75 thousand. And so, basically, 40 percent of the pandemic price gains have been wiped away over the past six months. And so, you know, we're nowhere close to the beginning of the pandemic even. And we have to remember that. You know, we had eight years of price growth before the pandemic even happened. And so we had, you know, massive amounts of growth and then exponential growth on top of that. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of where we land. But I mean, right now, rates, uh, prices have come down, but there's really not any more affordability at the moment just because rates have gone up so much. And so there's not any relief, but I, I think that buyers are maybe looking on some going, 
I'm actually feeling hopeful because if prices continue to go down, then I may be able to pull the trigger, you know, next year at some point or, or whenever, you know, works for their timetable. So um, I know that early on in the pandemic, we talked about Sacramento. Um, Housing Mart uh, wrote some articles about Sacramento being a place where a lot of people were, you know, had a lot of inflow um, from San Francisco and other areas as remote work became more popular. What are you seeing? Are you guys still one of those um, cities where you're seeing a lot of inflow or is it kind of leveled off? What are you seeing? Well, you know, it's hard to know for sure because any migration stats are really stale by the time they get published. And so if anything was published today, it would probably tell us, you know, about last year. And so I'd say on the street, we're, um, I'm still hearing of Bay Area buyers. Um, in fact, uh, San Francisco, um, you know, there were you know, people, according to LinkedIn stats, that moved literally in October 2022 and have their location in Sacramento now. And so you could, you know, see that among LinkedIn members each month. And so migration hasn't stopped. We always have that relationship. But I'm thinking that um, when, whenever migration stats do come out, we're likely going to see a change because about a year ago, even before rates went crazy, we started to see smaller homes finally sell. Okay, One of the things that we saw during the pandemic was people were buying much larger homes. And I think at first, the narrative was that everyone wants to quarantine in style. They want that big house. But what it was is a focus on more luxury real estate. And that kind of um, you know, fizzled out uh, last summer, um, even when rates were, you know, still at 3%. And so I think that we've gotten through sort of that migration period. And then now it's maybe somewhat of a holding period where people are trying to figure out, can I move? And, you know, wh what's happening with my job? What's happening with the economy? There's lots of uncertainty. But the other day, Redfin published some stats and they showed Sacramento was actually number one on their list for where people were searching for. But you know, here's my issue is that we're not number one on the list for actual closed sales. And so maybe there's a little bit of a disconnect between, you know, some of that data for where people, what people are searching for and, you know, where people are actually moving. I, I just don't see this, um, you know, mass numbers. If anything, the numbers have been shrinking every month, you know, as rates go higher. And so we, we see a market that's contracting rather than this Zoom town um, emphasis where everyone and their mom's coming to work from home. I, I think we've gotten through most of that probably. Do you see, you mentioned that, you know, smaller homes are, are finally selling in, in bigger numbers. Do you see a, a breakout of like uh, price points that you're like, this is, this is where all the action is? So, okay. So basically there's no price point and there's no location that's immune from the trend. I think sometimes people look and they're like, my neighborhood's so special and it's so wonderful here. I'm like, well, the stats show that volume has also taken a dive or that prices have in your area also. Okay. And so, but I'm seeing that basically the lower half of the market though, has actually taken a bigger beating in terms of volume differences than the higher end. Now, every single price point is down. It's just down more, basically the bottom half of the market, which I think sometimes goes against the narrative that I find on Twitter and other places where people are saying that, you know, it's really the top half of the market or the luxury, you know, price point that's, you know, having the most severe beating. But I, I think it's actually opposite so far, at least in, in the numbers that I'm pulling here. 
We're looking, you you mentioned seasonality. We're in the middle of, you know, we're just in what, the first week of November. And so uh, this is really, you know, coming into the time, as you said, that most people don't want to move, right? Like, I mean, the people who move for school have already moved. Uh, people kind of want to usually stay put during the holidays. That's not a huge time. But what do you see for the spring? And to me, I think we have a lot of people who are like, I'm just going to hold on and, you know, either list or buy in the spring, because right now it's just, you know, a, a bad time. We saw that consumer sentiment as far as, is it a good time to buy a house? Most consumers do not think it's a good time to buy a house. So what do you think the spring looks like? It's so hard to predict. I feel like we're in this unprecedented moment where rates have increased uh, more than they have, um, you know, in 40 years. And so what will that bring for the spring? I think in a sense, we, we have to see right now, we're not seeing sellers rush the market at all. And I think part of the struggle is, is that um, waning equity and increasing rates it messes with opportunity. And so a seller that I talked to this past week um, was going to sell last year, and then they had a family tragedy. And then now they're not going to move to Idaho because the numbers don't work. And so I think that, you know, we have people with different needs. And, um, you know, there's inventory, I would expect to come to the market during the spring, we usually see more inventory. Uh, but it's kind of one of those moments, I think, where we're hitting the pause button and wondering exactly how the spring market will unfold. With that said, I did some analysis in the 90s and in the early 2000s, you know, what does the market look like when it declines, when we're in a declining price environment? And usually what we see with prices in the beginning of the year, we kind of see a little bit of a flatness or a slight uptick, even in the worst years. Now, not every year, though, okay, but... One of the things um, more importantly than that, what happens with volume is that, you know, November, December, you start to see volume really slide down and slide down in January um, because so few people are focused on buying homes right now. But then even in declining years, the worst years, uh, 2007 and especially 2008, what I saw in my market was that volume all of a sudden increased, even um, as prices were dropping um, handsomely, so to speak. And, And so... I would expect to see seasonality in terms of more buyers giving attention to the market, um, even if prices are declining. But but like I said, I mean, what happens if rates go up to 8% or 9% like that can completely alter, I think, a normal seasonal pattern. But my observation, though, is it it's very difficult to alter the seasonal pattern with volume in the spring. And hopefully, we'll still see some sort of rhythm ahead. That's what I expect. Um, but it's kind of like, well, we'll see what happens with these unique factors right now. Boy, that interest rate factor is just such a killer because, you know, I mean, we we don't see the rates coming down significantly even for the next six months. Um, that would be optimistic to even think, okay, in six months, maybe we'll see some some change. The NBA thinks, you know, maybe towards the end of next year. So, you know, living with seven, seven and a half rates, um, it just does, it, it has an affordability hit. Yeah, it's a massive hit. And I think sometimes what I hear the narrative being is that, well, we'll probably have about six months ahead with you know some pain and and look, I'm not a prophet. My crystal ball broke a long time ago, but I think that's really really optimistic. Okay, prices um, buyers are struggling to afford the market. Less than 25% of the area in Sacramento can afford the median price right now, and rates are a total game changer when the mortgage is about a thousand dollars more than it was last year. And so, what we need to see 
is for prices to come down to help create more affordability. And I think on the positive side, if we see you know rates continue to increase, it it provides some space for prices to come down rather quickly. And so um, it's almost like I think uh, when we see markets decline, it's often five to six years. And I know that can sound daunting. And like right now, we're not all of a sudden locked into this trend that's going to last five to six years. But I, that, I just think the normal trend is that long. Very optimistic to just think six months. Um, it's been six months so far, and we are very far away from a market that's affordable. And so we have to see that continue to come down. Okay, But I, I think on the positive side, if, if we see prices come down more quickly, then we can get through some of the carnage and you know work through some of the issues um, you know in, in maybe a, a quicker manner. Um, and I think it's important to note too for some people maybe listening, going, "Oh my gosh, what if prices decline for five to six years? That's that's crazy." I would say, yeah, take your mental health seriously. Forget about your estimate, and you know don't be paying attention to that stuff on a daily basis. That's not how we're designed to live. Okay, markets go up and markets go down, but I do want to emphasize that a lot of people you know buy in a declining market and they really, really won. A lot of people who bought in 2008 and 2009, the market continued to decline in Sacramento for uh, three or four years afterwards. But these people really won. They they bought and then the market persisted to decline. And eventually, as equity built back up, they got such a good deal when, you know, at times that um, they really came out ahead. And so I, I just... You know, I don't care if people buy or not, that's up to them. But I think that we have to look at, you know, market cycles in this way where it's very difficult to time an exact bottom. And for some people, their lifestyle is simply going to line up with market conditions. And, you know, they've got to choose is, is now the right time or not. I think really uh, something I think too that might interrupt or, or make a different scenario than that five or six year decline is just the demographics that we know we have this this wave of millennial uh, millennials who are coming into their peak home buying age. And many of them have been stymied over the last couple of years. They, they lost out on how many houses because there were so many bidders. And now they need to maybe not, not be in it because of uh, high rates. But when that starts to turn, I feel like you do, you will have some people who, uh, you know, have been wanting to do it and just have gotten priced out. Yeah, no, and I think that's a huge thing. We can't ignore demographics. Um, I would just say right now that demographics aren't stopping this market from a very quick change. And so the key is that affordability is the bigger issue. And so demographics is here, but affordability is not at the moment. And so that's why I think something has to change in order to get demographics as an engine, I think, working for the market. It, it's obviously not doing something right now. It reminds me when people locally are like, yeah, but the Bay Area trend is so strong and migration is so strong. And I go, really? Well, why was volume down 40% last month? The issue is affordability right now. And so in a sense, yeah, I, I can see that for sure. I know your lead analyst as absolutely all about demographics. I love what he says about that. Um, but, you know, right now, I think demographics and if they can hold hands with affordability at some point, that will be a very powerful combination. Well, and he does not think there's a whole bunch of people on the sidelines ready to to do. I, I do. I mean, I'm not an analyst. I'm not you. I'm not him. But my own opinion is that there are people who have been priced that they'll be wanting to come back in. But he doesn't see that as a big wave of people who are just sitting on the sidelines. Um, got it. Got it. So, I, I, I like hearing that. I don't 
I, I'm generally not a big fan of um, when people in real estate say there's a big wave, whether it's the foreclosure wave coming or there's the millennial wave or there's all these things. And this is going to alter the market because we just have current conditions and let's keep an eye on this stuff coming ahead. But let's just be real about it, too, and not hype it up too much. Yep. I think that's the right approach. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is you have really done a good job documenting or charting the iBuyers in your area and specifically Zillow, kind of seeing it like where they bought, uh, what they sold at and and how many are left. And I believe you you have the last house that Zillow owned has now been sold. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And the crescendo of that home is that Zillow sold their very last property to Open Door. Wow. That is just perfect <laughs> with all the drama going on there. <laughs> how many, I mean, were, you guys weren't like Phoenix where it was like an eye, eye buying central, right? I mean, like how many, how many did that really represent as far as how many I buyer, I buyer owned homes? So, okay. I, I don't have a total number over, you know, what they purchased, but one year ago, Zillow at, you know, at this time of year had over 500 properties that they owned at, at any given time. And so uh, let me say first that I think a lot of people are maybe giving Zillow too much credit. They look back and they're like, oh, Zillow exited at the perfect time. They knew the market was going to change, but no, no, they exited because they lost hundreds of millions of dollars. They failed as an iBuyer. And right now in retrospect with hindsight, they look awesome, right? And so let's be real about the trend. But um, Open Door um, has been the biggest iBuyer locally. Uh, right now, they only own 250 properties. But what, what happened, the market corrected and it, you know prices have been going down and they've really adjusted their strategy. And so they're acquiring less. They normally have 300, 330 properties or so. And so they're clearly diminishing what they're actually buying, I think, to um, you know, adjust, get rid of the carnage and you know, maybe pivot. But you know, the interesting thing about Open Door, I just did some analysis yesterday and 76% of all their active listings are currently listed below what they bought the property for. And so, you know, they're they're going to have a painful not only painful third quarter but very painful fourth fourth quarter. And what's interesting about Open Door is that when I talk about them on Twitter, there's um Open Door enthusiasts that come in and they're like, "Man, the company's awesome." And you know, that's fine. But then I start to share some stats about Sacramento and I think everyone concedes that the the model has really struggled here. And the model is also really struggling in Phoenix. And so for whatever reason, I don't know if it's um, something strategy-wise that needs to be adapted on their end, but uh, they've really struggled to, um, I think, gain ground here and maybe crack the code. And and you know, I think to be fair, uh, whenever you know we see this twelve percent median price decline in in six months, that's that's a difficult environment to be a home flipper in. I think that you know we've talked about a lot that the rapid rise of interest rates is really unprecedented. So it's not that seven percent or seven and a half or eight or whatever is that high historically, but coming off that amazing low, it's just you know it freezes up the market, understandably. Absolutely. I mean, historically, this is chump change, and you know, people in 1982 can look and say, "Yeah, man, hey, bro, I, I bought at 16 percent to stop your whining." But of course, that person bought in their home was fifty-three thousand dollars, and right. it's a it's a totally different ballgame. And my challenge to people today is go to a mortgage calculator, 
see if you can afford the house that you actually own right now, the one you bought for an 82. See if you could afford the monthly payment. And I'm guessing the answer is going to be no for a lot of people. So that's why we have sort of a quicksand market with sellers at the moment who are stuck and they don't have somewhere to go because they don't have options um, because replacement cost is simply too high. Boy, that's so true. Well, you know, um, so you write the Sacramento Sacramento appraisal blog, and I would recommend anyone to go and look at that. When you look at Sacramento versus the rest of the country, what do you think? Do you feel like you guys are pretty typical? You have your own distinctives in that market, but do you feel like some of your observations are obviously going to be um, very helpful to people in different markets? You know, I think we've sort of gotten here first into, in, in, you know, in uh, let me see how how am I say it? I think we've gotten here first in terms of market decline, and I think we're maybe a market to watch, like your Phoenix and Boise, you know, places that really boomed. That maybe sort of the Zoom Town phenomenon, lots of migration, and so it's like. Um, along with some other markets across the country, we were making all those lists of, you know, properties that um, or places that were, you know, the hottest market in the country. And then now we're making sort of the not list, you know, the naughty list. And, and so I think it's not a surprise to see areas that had very significant growth begin to, you know, contract more. And so in that regard, I mean, yeah, we're at you know, typical market. There's, um, you know, there's nothing strange happening here. It's just, it feels like we're experiencing the opposite of that, you know, really aggressive way up. And then it's felt more aggressive on the way down so far. And so kind of to be expected in light of the massive appreciation that we saw. But I just say sometimes people only want to focus on their individual markets. I'd say start watching other markets across the country just to understand, um, you know, what's going on and maybe, it's sort of a view into what could be happening in other areas. But I think also we have to concede and just remember that the market's not the same across the whole entire country. We're going to experience different trends and price range and location. There's so many factors, but um, fascinating to see, that's for sure. Fascinating. And thank you so much, Ryan, for being on with us and giving us you know, a glimpse into what's happening in Sacramento. And I would love to have you on, uh, say, six months from now, and we'll look at you know, what does spring look like and, and how the markets changed then. Absolutely. would love to do it. Thanks so much for the opportunity. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.